0: Welcome to Above and Below, a salt life podcast, where we're going to be exploring above and below the surface. We'll take in a deep dive into the world of fishing, diving, and surfing. Every week, we're going to sit down with experts to learn more about them and get their freshest, hottest takes on all things salty. All right, everybody, welcome back to Above and Below, a salt life podcast. Day online, we have Astrid. What's up? How's it going? Where are you from? And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hey, guys, I'm Astrid, and I was born in Peru to start. I was raised in New York, and I currently live in Isla Mirada, Florida.
0: Holy smokes. That's quite the wide range of places to live and grow up. And how was that going from Peru to New York?
1: You know, there's a bit of a culture change, you know, from a different country to the United States, but just even state wise. Um, you know, growing up in New York and then now living in Florida, big transition there as well. But, um, my two hobbies, I can literally practice from in New York, like I did before and also in Florida. So it's been uh, a blessing.
0: What are your, what are your two main hobbies?
1: So the first one is fishing. And the second one, um, a lot of people don't really believe or try can understand, but it's actually baseball. Major baseball. Yep.
0: No way. Did you play baseball growing up?
1: I didn't think it was an option for females. So, you know, I played softball, but I'm only 5'4 and, you know, weigh 100 and what, twenty, thirty 30 pounds. And <laughs> I couldn't throw that hard um, compared to the girls who are like 6'2 and much bigger than me. So... Playing baseball, I loved more, um, and it was easier because I have small hands, and a softball's huge and clunky, right? So baseball was just easier for me to throw. I didn't think it was an option, though, to play it.
0: So in Peru, did you play softball or baseball or anything?
1: No. So I actually grew up in Peru. I lived there until I was about five years old. Uh, my mom was a single mom with two kids, and she wanted a better life for us, so she moved to the United States. And for the first couple of years, we grew up in uh, Queens, similar to the movie, you know, coming to America, didn't really know the language of the culture. Then all of a sudden you're trying to acclimate and adjust. And it wasn't until I met my stepdad who introduced me to both fishing and baseball. So that's kind of poetic in a way as well.
0: So did you find fishing from your stepdad, obviously, and then you just got hooked right away?
1: Oh, yeah. And, um, it was just the excitement of going out there, not knowing what was going to happen, trying to make something happen. And more often than not, you know, you have some successes and then some failures. And I remember the, um, first battle that I had where I knew that I wanted to do this forever was when I fought my first striped bass. I was eight years old. I was with my dad and, um, you know, it was late at night. We told my mom that we were going to be sleeping, and um, we actually stayed up and went fishing for striped bass. I, again, I was eight years old, and I hooked up to like a barely legal one, and it was the hardest fight of my life. And I remember saying, "Like, Dad, I don't know if I can do this." And he's like, "No, you're going to do it, and you're going to land this fish." And I did. And although it was um, very strenuous and stressful for a short amount of time. The feeling of accomplishment is just what made me fall in love with the sport. You know, that is the best part of fishing is putting in the work, not knowing if it's going to happen and going through the battles. And when you finally get it done, it is such a fulfilling feeling.
0: Yeah. I feel like fishing is hard, too, because like when you go fishing, you're fishing, you're not catching. Like for me, when I go fishing, I'm like, dude, am I going to catch anything like the whole time? But then once you catch a fish, you're like, Oh my God, this is so sick. You're getting oh, yeah. so up. So rad.
1: And the plan, sometimes you set out a plan and sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen because um, sometimes they're just not in the mood and that's just how fish operate. And people don't realize that because my fiance is that we'll get to that eventually, but fiance being a charter captain, some days, you know, the fish work with him and some days they just don't.
0: Yeah. That's how it is though. I mean, that's fishing, right? We can't, just say, hey, we're going to catch fish for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So how did you do you do competitions and stuff for fishing?
1: So I don't really do a lot of competitions. I would love to get into it more. We did a couple up north for stripers when me and my dad got really serious about it. Um, but more right now is recreational. Um, started getting into diving for lobsters, too, which is pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> That's rad everyone's like you haven't done that yet i'm like yeah you know sooner than later but it's it's awesome
0: lobster diving so fun so i'm in mexico right now and uh we just went to this marina we're gonna try to go fishing on friday we went to this marina and we're like hey dude like that jetty out there looks pretty good for lobster is there lobster in there he's like oh yeah dude there's a bunch of people that lobster dive there but I'm pretty sure like the police hang out there and write tickets for people lobster diving there. I was like, ah, we'll just pay them off, whatever. Like (laughs) like, lobster dive here. It looks so sick.
1: Oh God. That's awesome though. There, there gotta be monsters down there too.
0: For sure. Yeah. Lobster season just opened up in California. We've been getting a bunch, but when's lobster season for you?
1: So mini season is insane down here. And it's like the last uh, three, like the weekend of July. And um, it's three days. It's a small little season just to open up. So like, you know, the lobsters are unbarbated when the the season starts, but it's end of July. But just witnessing the amount of traffic that people come to the Keys for lobsters was insane this year because um, it's my first year living down here. So that was uh, it's like a give and take. Oh, I got to go to the grocery store. but It's like, you know, 20 minutes to go a mile. Um yeah. But it's it's cool to see, like, the different people that come down here from different countries, different states, just to um, dive for lobsters, which is pretty cool.
0: So do you live in the Keys?
1: I do. Which Keys? Uh, the Isla Morada Key. No way. Yep. Right in the heart of the Keys. Do
0: you ever tarpon fish?
1: I have.
0: Dude, I've been fishing so bad.
1: Yeah, um my I actually went tarpon fishing before I lived in Isla Murata and um I have not I was not successful landing about 5 of those until my fiance was like okay, we're going to catch a tarpon the right way and he helped me land my first tarpon which is mounted right up here if you can kind of see it. Oh, no Yeah, it's huge. That's sick. Oh yeah.
0: You have to get like permits to be able to keep them.
1: Um, I think you do pay like a fee, a big fee to, to mount, like to keep it and do whatever you want for it. Um, but it's kind of frowned upon down here because there's such a majestic, beautiful sport fish.
0: Yeah. So That's why everybody just keep them in the water, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Keep them in the water and then the little ones you can take out, but obviously be quick about it. Um, but the big ones, the way they jump, it's just fun. You know, it's, it's, it's a fight too. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember when I first fought my first tarpon and I, you know, fought stripers and other things here and there. But tarpon fishing, I was like, it kicked my butt. And it's just frustrating too, fighting it for over an hour, which I did before numerous times, bring it by the boat. And then the line just cuts or hook pulls because they have soft mouths. But my fiance was very successful. He's very good at getting the face grab because, you know, everybody wants that picture with the face grab. He's very, very good at that. And that's what I wanted. And he nice. made it happen.
0: <laughs> what other kind of fish do you get there?
1: Everything. Um, there from, group there? There's groupers. There's a bunch of snappers. Um, there's sailfish. People have been catching mako, uh, not mako, the marlins down here. Uh, even some mako's offshore too, actually. But there is literally everything down in Isla Morata, offshore, backcountry, and it's called literally the sport fishing capital of the world. No way. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to go there. That sounds oh, it. Yeah. Actually, I've probably been there, but I don't think I've like spent much time there. I, I mean, I've been to the Keys a bunch. I actually went tarpon fishing once but I never got anything. I was so bummed.
1: Oh, oh yeah, it's and people do that for the, like they call it season um when my fiance is the busiest for the backcountry guides because that's all people want is tarpon from like you know February, March, April, uh sometimes June trying to get a face grab or land a tarpon which and it's it's a, an accomplishment because they are one of the only fish that breathe oxygen, right? So you're fighting this fish thinking that you know, you got it, but it, it's taking its time and it's really a battle.
0: So does your fiance do charters?
1: He does. He's a backcountry guide out of Butter Mary's. Um, this is his first year doing it and he's been crushing it. I'm super proud of him. And it's just great to find somebody like him that loves fishing as much as I do. So yeah you know, he takes me out there too. He's put me on a lot of my first. He made me fall in love with triple tailing and the thought of side casting and how hard that is and how satisfying it is to see a fish, watch and eat it and land it. Um, and he's taught me a lot for sure.
0: Nice. So do you guys fish a lot?
1: We do. So he runs a lot of charters and when he's off, you know, when we're both off, we, you know, go back there and, Uh, He really made me fall in love with backcountry fishing, too, because I was new to that whole thing. I always loved offshore, you know, big things. But what's so funny that people don't know is that you actually catch bigger fish in the backcountry. And he's the one that taught me that And you can catch big goliath groupers back there, huge sharks, big snappers, too. And it's a lot of fun. And sometimes he's hooked up to these enormous sawfish um, and obviously tarpon back there as well.
0: What is backcountry fishing? Is that just like going to the mangroves and stuff?
1: Yeah, like uh, the back bays and the gulf, like the back bays of the Keys. Yeah.
0: Nice. Do you travel a lot for fishing or do you mainly just in the Keys?
1: So we started to travel. We went, first we went up to my parents. Um, They have a house in the Outer Banks and we tried tuna fishing one day. Um, We were not successful, but there's, you know, we, we did that. And we also went to the uh Seaward, Alaska, and we went halibut fishing and salmon fishing, Sick. which was a lot of fun, and got to kind of experience a different part of the um, you know, United States. And then most recently went uh marlin fishing for my 30th birthday. No and way. yep, we landed a uh like a 250 pound blue marlin, which is pretty cool. Kicked my butt for sure. Where was and- that at? It was in Punta Cana.
0: Dominican Republic, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. So we went to the DR to do that. And that was his first time in the DR. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and we stayed um, right right there. And it was the most beautiful part of the Dominican that I've ever been to. Because I've yeah. been there a couple of times, but not the, ni- the not the nice part like that.
0: Right. Yeah, there's good waves there, too.
1: Oh.
0: i like, I want to go surf there. <laughs>
1: Let me tell you something though. It was pretty rough in in Punta Cana. So I couldn't funny. believe how rough it was. It's and they're like, "Oh, it's just, you know, a calm day." I'm like, "Oh my god, it's crazy."
0: Yeah. Dude, Alaska is so sick. I've been to Alaska. I fished in Alaska. I got some halibut and stuff. It's insane there. I feel like oh, you, yeah. like if you go to Alaska, you're bound to catch a fish.
1: Oh yeah. And that was um our goal for the salmon. You know, I have a friend out there, Miller's Landing, Chance and Tom, the brothers who own it are pretty much like family now. So they invite us to go out every year and he's big on halibut. He loves big halibut. When we go out, it's to fill all their freezers because they never get to go fun fishing. Um, yeah. And he's like, you're useful. You know, we'll go out and you'll catch a couple of halibuts. Um, and I actually did catch a hundred pound halibut on my first trip there, but Brandon wanted to catch a salmon on his little mini rod that he has. And, um, he was actually pretty good about scouting an area that he didn't know. And, um, we found a big school of like all these, like, you know, almost spawned out salmon and we found him. and like, you just walk down the street and they're all there. You got to scout it out. But he was very successful at doing that, which is pretty cool. But yeah, salmon walk down the street. A bunch of you know, they're right there.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I, I remember when I was there last; like, there were so many dead salmon because they spawn and then they die or whatever. But yeah, they were all over the place. I th- the halibut there are crazy because they've they've weird regulations. It's like you can keep a certain size, and then they have like whatever it is from like twenty eight inches to forty two inches or whatever it is. You can't yeah. keep them from above that. You can keep them. It's it's weird how they do that. I don't know what the reason is or anything, but yeah,
1: yeah it's like an over under slot. So they, the reason why they do that is because they want their average size okay. to be that size. And they have that for trout fishing down here. You know, you can keep a trout over X amount of inches and under X amount of inches. So the average size stays the same um, yeah. for the FWC.
0: No way. So trout, are those sea trout or are they like...
1: Yeah, yeah, speckled trout.
0: Oh, speckled trout. Do you get a lot of those?
1: Um, yeah, so there's a season for it that, um, you know, he he always tells me and updates me after, you know, he's done with his charter. Um, there's a season for like mackerel fishing, which is fun, and trout, um, and you can catch the trout in the mackerel on artificials, which is really, really fun too. He turned me on to that. But yeah, they have that slot for those. But there are seasons for everything down here.
0: Nice. So, so you're born in Peru. Do you ever go back there and fish or hang out there?
1: So I've been back to Peru maybe two years ago, and I did not go to fish. I went to go visit uh, Machu Picchu, um, and it was my first time back since I've been born. And I actually went by myself. Um, it was like kind of like a, hey, nobody else wants to go. I still want to do this. The price was right, so I just went. And, um, that was actually the most beautiful sight that I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people know about Machu Picchu. You want to see it. it's one of the seven world wonders. And I was able to experience that. And people don't realize that Peru is so big and long and there's just a lot to it. But Machu Picchu is like where if you're going to go to Peru, you have to go visit that part of it.
0: That's right. So is that where you're from or where are you from in Peru?
1: So I was actually born in the capital, Lima. um, And it's a flight away from Cusco. But the next time I do go, I want to take my fiance and, um, you know, visit Machu Picchu and spend a couple of days in Lima and go fishing um, in Lima and also up north because it's along an entire coastline, just like California, but even longer. So there's got to be a ton of fishing in the northern part of Peru by the capital and probably in the South Peru too. So I want to see and scout out and spend as much time there, um, as needed to go fishing.
0: Yeah. I've gotten invited to go to Peru probably like three times to go surf in Lima. There's like a crazy left there. And I want to go so bad, but I never got to make it down there.
1: My mom actually grew up surfing, which is funny. Yeah. It's huge down there. It's like, um, you know, football to uh, the Americans, everybody kind of plays it or does it at some point yeah it's pretty cool
0: that's rad what so what other kind of hobbies do you in the keys besides fish
1: um fish and just watch sports and you know i want to get into the paddle boarding and more the outdoor sports but um fishing is something that it's not like you know you can just do it one day and like be done with it because there's so (laughs) much and like there's so much and every single day it's like, OK, you can go offshore this day, you can go backcountry, you can go, you know, anywhere to go do this. And there's just a, such a variety of species where it's like it's a big hobby to have down here.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. What What's that? Is it the Marathon Key where they have the wakeboard park?
1: I'm not sure. I haven't heard of that. Maybe Key West.
0: I'm not sure. I know that-
1: there's a lot of amusement stuff in Key West or Key Largo. Those are like the two big and marathon too, but those are like big tourist destinations where they have all these different stuff. But like if you're in Isla Marata, you're probably here to go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. That's,
0: yeah. I went I went uh I did that. I went like wakeboarding at like this man made kind of thing. It was pretty sick. I thought yeah? a marathon key. I forget though. But yeah, it was so fun. The keys are super sick. Like, and the water so like blue and oh yeah, turquoise.
1: We live in paradise essentially. Like, you look out. You know, I'm running in the morning and look out. And my view is just like turquoise water. And you know, sometimes when we're running and you know, my fiance looks at me, is like we live here. I'm like, yeah, we do live here.
0: <laughs> Have you ever had any hurricanes while you're there?
1: Um, just uh, Ida, I think was one. Yeah, Ida. Yeah, but it wasn't as bad as you know, I anticipated it being. Um, Irma, I know was was I was not here for that, and I know that one was a devastating one. But I'm sure at, one, at some point there's going to be a big one that will hit me. And you know, there everyone here though is such a community, is a small tight knit community where we're all looking out for each other. So I think we'll be okay.
0: Yeah, that's rad. Got to shelter down. That's like. Yeah. We, uh, well, it was supposed to be worse for a hurricane. It's only a category one, but there's a hurricane that's coming here right now. And that's why I came down here, because there's going to be good surf from the hurricane.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. But,
0: um, like earlier today, it was pretty gnarly, but now it's just mellow. I was like, what the heck? This is the weirdest weather.
1: And we actually had a running joke. One of my friends from back in uh, New York, Balaram Stock. He's a professional surfer. Yeah, Balaram. Um, and um, I always used to joke with him because he also goes fishing too. And I was like, whenever is a good day for you, it's a crap day for me and vice versa.
0: Yeah. He's like so into fishing right now. It's crazy.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, what's so funny. It's like when, you know, we were friends and we started being friends, he started really getting into the whole fishing thing. And now he's going spear diving and doing all these crazy things. So That's pretty awesome to watch that kind of, um, happen because if you are surfing and always in the water and you can, you know, you're athletic in the water and you have a passion for fishing, why not go spearfishing?
0: Yeah. I didn't know like his, his last couple of posts, I think he was in Hawaii or something, but he was getting like some crazy tuna. Oh yeah. yeah. Looks sick. Yeah. That guy's such a frother. He's such a good surfer too.
1: Yeah, he's, he, and you know what's crazy about the whole thing is that he grew up in New York. You know, it's not York. like he grew up in um, Hawaii or something.
0: Yeah, and he's like a standout in Hawaii too every single year. It's crazy. Yeah. What's the biggest difference in fishing between like New York and Florida?
1: So in New York, you're limited to maybe four or five species that, you know, you are excited about. You know, when striper season opens up, when fluke season opens up black sea bass and like those are like that's it and when you come down here it's like grouper snapper you know you can do so much more triple tailing there's a whole season for that and like you know just so much more down here and it is literally the fishing big leagues in my eyes yeah yeah there's a lot
0: of opportunity i feel like yeah in new york what kind of fish are you getting
1: um, well, for me, it was always stripers. That was my biggest thing. And in the summertime fluke, and, um, you were happy if maybe you hooked up to a big bluefish, um, down here, you hook up to a bluefish, you're like, darn it. You know? Really? Yeah. It's just, a. it's, and, and I do, I love striper fishing. That's always going to have a special place in my heart because that's what made me start loving, like, and taking fishing professionally, and more seriously. Um, but down here, it's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. Yeah, but stripers, you know, we had to also change how we were catching stripers. We started trolling towards the later years because that's how you catch bigger striped bass.
0: Nice. That's cool. Is there any fish on your bucket list that you haven't caught?
1: Bluefin tuna.
0: Oh, uh, bluefin's sick. Bluefin we just been fishing probably like, six times this year it was so insane here in California oh, like yeah.
1: oh yeah
0: it was psycho like I saw foamers everywhere it was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life and I feel like they're just coming here more than ever like it oh yeah are guys are like oh yeah I was never like that before and now it's just crazy bluefin everywhere oh, but yeah. it's super super hard to catch and like I feel like bluefin are so smart like they know if it's real bait fake bait, if you have line in the water, like they just know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you like
0: face your boat up to the, the, to the foamers where all the bluefin are. And then you throw some, throw some irons at them. And then all of a sudden they're just gone. They, oh, yeah. they just dove down. What the heck? I literally just got here. It's the weirdest thing.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to really venture that we tried last year. Um, but I think we tried maybe a little bit too late, but this year, um, Brandon's coming with us and, we are going to try again. My parents relocated from New York to the Outer Banks specifically for this reason. Um, you know, my dad's a big fisherman as well, and he loves meat. He's a meat guy and he really wants to, you know, catch a bluefin and enjoy it. And I would love to just reel one in and like stand up gear and see if I can do it. I'll probably challenge myself to that. And That is a fish that we're trying to get in probably December. Um, And then next year, kubera snapper fishing. Uh, My fiance caught like a 60 pounder. And that was a big accomplishment. I just want like a, maybe like a 30 pounder I'd be happy with, or just one. Um, But those are really hard to catch. And he even told me, he's like, you want to practice you know, reeling in a Kubera, go to US1, which is our major highway, hook up to a motorcycle and try to reel <laughs> that in. So that's I was a- like, oh, and that just pushes me to want to do it more though, you know?
0: Yeah, that's rad. That's how bluefin are. Like we got 150 or 160 pounder this year. Rider DeVoe gets like 250 pound plus tune. I don't know how he's insane, yeah. but his brother Fisher is super into it and he, he uh, reels him in, but Riders like the craziest diver gets the craziest tuna. Cameron Connell gets 200 plus pound bluefin all the time. So I dove in. The last trip, I dove in and try to get some bluefin. But dude, it's so gnarly. Like it's scary. Like those things are huge. Oh yeah. Huge. But oh, it's, yeah. Never, like give me a rod and reel? And I'll I'll reel in a 300 pounder if you want me to. It's sick. Like
1: yeah, I, that's my goal. That's definitely the goal. And uh, just seeing their colors. You know, I've been very fortunate, though, in the past couple of years, catching swordfish with Nick Stancic and a um, marlin with my fiance in the DR. And I'm pretty confident that in the near future, we could get a bluefin, if not this year, the next year. You know, we're going to keep trying till it happens.
0: You'll get yeah. one here. They're so sick. but They're amazing fish. They really are. Yellowfin, bluefin, that whole entire species of tuna is just insane. Oh, Yeah. Do you have any tropical destinations that you want to go to that you haven't been to?
1: Um, tropical destinations. Um, well, going to the DR, you know, we just did. Um, Cabo, I know they say has really good fishing over there, Cabo. And um, you know, for our honeymoon, we we plan to go to the Seychelles Islands. Wow. Um and, you know, it was his idea. He was telling me about it. You know, it's like, you know, near Madagascar or somewhere over there. And yep. I was like, as long as we have like a safari day, OK, yep. like if we're going to go to that part of the world, we'll, you have to see like all the safari, everything. Got to have the whole experience. Yeah. But you catch crazy fish in the flats over there and really colorful, big ones, too. So um, that's probably our dream destination right there.
0: Yeah, that's rad. So you're the outdoors girl. Do you like to cook and stuff when you catch good fish?
1: Yeah. So we, um, we're starting to really do those, um, kind of videos and stuff. And, uh, I'm, I love cooking. You know, we're a big Hell's Kitchen fan. You know, we just started getting into it. Um, big Gordon Ramsay fan, fan um, big Gordon Ramsay fan and just, listening to see how he seasons everything we're trying to mix all that into you know our recipes um but yeah we love cooking
0: that's rad cooking's so hard i feel like cooking's like the worst thing i'm at the worst really i can do like yeah even
1: even like sashimi with like you know thin slices of avocado so that's good
0: i can make super good poke bowls and that's about it
1: Oh, that's, that's good. That's a good start. You know, a little sashimi, then you start rolling up the sushi and then you have three, you know, beautiful dishes right there.
0: Absolutely. What's your favorite fishy?
1: Um, triple tail. What is that? So, um, it's like this really ugly looking fish with hard skeleton type armor. It's not even skeleton, just really hard armor. My fiance is obsessed with catching these and I was like, what's the big deal? And then he took me on my first trip and I was like, this is amazing. You know, just side casting for big ones and how much strength they have for just like a, you know, petite fish. Yeah. Um, They just pull drag and it's so much fun to just, you know, see them because they kind of float like, um, try to be like debris. They disguise debris in the backcountry and the offshore. They hang out by like you know, floating pallets or whatever. We catch them in the backcountry, though. But it's so fun to see them kind of disguise themselves. You see them sidecast at them. They're looking at your bait. They 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 want to eat it. They grab it and then they fight. And it's just a whole fun experience. And they taste delicious. And the other hard part is seeing them from where you are because he can see them from like, you know, miles away. And He's like, look at that triple tail over there. I'm like, where? But he's very good at that. And that's one of my favorite fishes to catch and eat. That's rad.
0: I've never mm-hmm. heard of that and I've never tasted it, but it sounds yeah, very good. It's
1: really good. good. People say that it's like triple tail or hogfish is like very, very close. Yeah. Really?
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So you have quite the schooling behind you. Did you go to Harvard?
1: So I did this uh, analytical program thing that they had going on. Um, so I did my undergrad at St. John's and um, I'd studied like film and business communications. I wanted to be a film director. That was the goal. And wow. then, um, you know, I always loved baseball. Like baseball to me was something that I always followed. And my brother, you know, played travel baseball a lot. So I would go to his um, practices and then I would also go to his games And his, um, you know, one-on-one training sessions. And that's where I picked up, I think, the majority of my knowledge because going to his practices and everything and him learning from like big league coaches, like really just gave me all the knowledge I needed. And it wasn't until I finished undergrad where I went to a showcase with him. And one of the Mets scouts came to talk to me and he's like, oh, what do you think about this guy? I don't know if he was just trying to fill out like if I knew anything about the game. But he ended up saying, you know a lot about baseball. You need to work in baseball. And I was like, work in baseball? You get paid to, like, watch baseball games? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, you know, we got this whole scout school out in Arizona. Um, So I was fortunate enough to get sent out there. And I did that, which was a couple weeks long. And then I decided to further my schooling. Being a female in baseball, you know, you have to have the background and, you know, all the, all the meat and potatoes right behind you so nobody can say no to you. So I went to Arizona State where Bud Selig was actually my professor. A lot of people don't know who he is. He was the former commissioner of Major League Baseball. Wow. Um, yeah, so he was one of my professors, you know, i, st- I stayed in Arizona for a couple of years, did that, um, did law school, and that was a whole experience in itself. And I did all of this just to have credibility, to work in baseball. So nobody could say, okay, you don't deserve to be working here. (laughs) Um, So after that was over, everybody that worked in baseball had an Ivy league degree. So I was like, Oh, I just did everything. Like I, am not going to go back and do something else. So Harvard business school actually had this program that was online that you could do and just kind of, you know, focus on a specific area of your interest and I don't really have any analytical backgrounds. So I did the course for a couple months and uh, it was like a certification of completion. And it was really, really hard, too, because, you know, they quizzed you on a lot of stuff and you had to either know it. And um, but that was part of the whole, you know, here's my education package. Can I work in baseball now?
0: (laughs) So do you work as a scout?
1: So I worked as uh first, my first job was as an associate scout for the Padres back in like 2014, um, wow. scouting the Northeast, which is really, really hard because not unlike Florida, you only play baseball in New York for a couple months out of the year. Yeah. Um, so that was my first gig. And then I did an internship in um, Massachusetts for the Cape Cod Baseball League, which was really exciting. And um, then when I was in school in Arizona, I worked for the uh, Oakland Athletics and player development, which was really, really cool, too. And my last job was as an international scout with uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I did that for two and a half years. And it was great. And COVID obviously changed a lot of things about baseball and sports, just took a you know hit Um, but I transitioned to kind of doing stuff on TV and I worked for the yes network and covered the draft for a little bit, but right now I'm trying to figure out if like TV is where I want to go or do I want to continue the scouting path and, and keep getting those players in the systems and stuff.
0: How did it, how was your day? Like, what was your day like working as a scout? Was it pretty gnarly?
1: Oh, it's pretty um, different than every anyone else's nine to five. So some days we'd be in the Dominican Republic for a week running practices, looking at all these different prospects, writing out scouting reports and seeing if we wanted to sign this guy. And you're scouting kids when they're 15, 16 years old. That's so they're correct. babies and, you know, they don't speak English at all, only Spanish. And some kids couldn't even write their names because... You know, they don't have to go to school like, you know, in the United States. Um, and the practices down there are extremely different than the United States because um, baseball is such a big opportunity for them and their families. So the mom is OK sending the kid to work out 24-7 and and practicing baseball because he might get a check to support his family. So it's, a, it's like almost a responsibility for them to try. Um, which There's some moral injustices with that, of course. But, you know, that was part of the job, you know, being down there, being on the front line, scouting these players. Um, and then part of the job also was when we did sign them, you know, being in the we have a facility there. They would be sent over there and they would do practices up there as well. So what that meant was, you know, it was my job to kind of guide them because it's their first time to the United States understanding wow. the culture um, and obviously things don't work the same. Um, so I was kind of like their helping hand in that transition. Um, but a lot of scouting responsibilities, a lot of making sure that our players were OK. And my job also was talking to about 20 scouts in 20 different countries <laughs> and making sure we have everything that we need to sign a guy or make sure we have all the opinions in and doing all of that stuff.
0: That's amazing. That's insane. That sounds like yeah. a lot. Of-
1: <laughs> it was fun.
0: So you kind of travel a lot for that then.
1: I did travel a lot. Yeah. Um, when COVID started hitting, though, it kind of just everything stopped. Everything turned virtual. We were doing a lot of video scouting. Um, so I think that's going to be a trend that we're going to see because, A, not only is it cost effective, but we also have these scouts that live in their regions that are already taking the videos.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. I mean, we have so much technology nowadays, so we can film them. And that's cool, though. What an amazing, amazing thing to do. That's super cool. Oh, yeah. Are you trying to? Are you transitioning out of that now, then?
1: So I'm still trying to decide if I want to go back into that role, or if I want to just stick to the TV stuff, um, you know, it, it's something that I have to ask myself living in Isla Mirada, what yeah. exactly is feasible? Um, what is the best, you know, balance essentially, because that's what COVID taught me. You know, you can dedicate your life to something, but, you know, I think a lot of people understood how important home life was during COVID and that they could do almost everything from home.
0: Absolutely yeah it's it really is amazing. I mean we can do anything and everything from home, right? It's yep pretty crazy to be happy and have a good time and you can do it from home and that's great of course so if somebody were to get into fishing, I mean, I'm not the best fisherman, like I just kinda do it. If I wanted to like get into professional fishing and really get after it, what advice do you have for us?
1: So I would definitely say is just to work on the craft and try to match what you set out to do, like your plan and try to make that happen as much as possible, which is so hard to do. Um, You know, having my fiance do it full time is a big help too, because he teaches me a lot. Um, You know, being a professional angler is, you know, you are expected to know certain fundamentals and um, be excited about it and just keep trying. I think that's what it means. But, you know, checking the tides, checking to see what bait works, switching it out, different types of rigs. It's just experimenting. But essentially what I'm trying to say is try to set out a plan and make that plan happen as much as possible. And just building your craft essentially, right?
0: Yeah. How long have you been with Salt Life?
1: So I just kind of signed on a couple months ago. So I'm new to the brand. Um, I've like heard about Salt Life my entire life though yeah. you know it is literally the biggest brands um, <laughs> all over the the nation and and even internationally people know what it is yeah and even in new york you always see people with like salt life gear on coming down here being from different states salt life gear on which is great to see because it's like you could be doing fishing diving surfing anything but it, we're all connected in that way
0: yeah i actually we were just driving home from dinner and this guy had a salt life sticker on his truck in Mexico. And I was like, oh, look, take a photo of that salt life sticker. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah.
0: It was so rad. I always see that though. And every single time I see one in like a country or a different state, even when it's inland, like Arizona or something. Like I t- I'm like, take a photo of that. That's so cool. Oh my
1: God. It's it's awesome. Even down here to see all of that from different states. So it's cool to see like the bumper sticker with like different um state license plates.
0: Yeah. You got what are you doing the rest of the week? Are you fishing?
1: Um, I think well, today we we're we were supposed to go um underwater fishing. That was gonna be our, our next YouTube video, but the weather is not cooperating. The weatherman was wrong. Um, so we're going to delay that. Um, probably for maybe a day or two, depending on when the, the weather calms down, decides to calm down.
0: So do you have a YouTube channel?
1: We do. Um, I actually film and edit all of it myself. Yeah, it's called Bean Screen TV. And I am featured in a couple of the episodes, but I like to, um, I'm pretty much in charge of like filming and editing it. And, uh, we try to put together a very professional piece, but he's very fun about it. We try to keep it action packed. So it's pretty awesome.
0: What other social media do you have that people can follow you on?
1: So my Instagram is probably the biggest one. It's catching underscore Astrid. Um, yeah. Catching Astrid.
0: I like it. It's rad. You like
1: it? The baseball and the fishing, the catching part.
0: (laughs) Perfect. perfect. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Rad. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to us and giving us the rundown. That's amazing. It sounds like your your life is super fun and where you live and everything. And um, yeah, we just appreciate you coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun. Love talking to you and hopefully we'll do it again soon.
0: Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening in to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at RealSaltLife. If you've enjoyed this podcast, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to help spread the word. Stay salty. You.